Hello, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch podcast, the podcast where we talk about video games and stuff, and more more than just video games. Uh, I'm Matt Rossi. I'm the host of this there show. With me this week are my two fantastic co-hosts, uh, Liz Harper, the EIC of the site, and Joe Perez, the site's all-seeing eye that, that we, we tore out of Odin's head and gave to the jailer, which wasn't a good move. Why you got to do that to me? <laughs> Why you got to do that? Why you got to put that on me? Why not? Um... <laughs> But yeah, we're going to do a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, I wanted to just say hi to everybody. Say hi. How you doing? Uh, we got a fair amount of stuff to call talk about. Like last week was the big week. Um, a lot of stuff happened last week. This week, well, for one thing, I've got my internet back, so that's nice. Uh, another thing is that Diablo Immortal dropped last week, and I have been playing it a lot. I mean... I played it to like level thirty on a guest on a guest account before I figured out how to link my uh, Battle.net account, which unfortunately erased all the characters I had on that guest account. So I have to start over, and so I'm only level twenty seven on my highest main, which is you know it's it's still it's still pretty good, uh, but I also have like four or five other characters I'm playing. Ah, but let's 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 see what are we going to talk about on this. Liz, you had mentioned the uh, cross-platform stuff. Yeah, I think I, I've heard Diablo Immortal get, you know, a lot of flack because of the microtransaction stuff, which is totally fair. But this is just such a spectacular Diablo game. This is just a great Diablo game. And one of the things that is super cool about it is that there is a cross-progression. I can sit on my phone and play for a little while when I'm just sitting around with my phone. And then I could go to my PC and fire it up and I'm in the same place. I could go to my tablet and fire it up and I'm in the same place. And it's just, it's, it's very, it's very smooth. You can hop, you know, I can play for five minutes on my phone and hop out. And then, you know, it obviously you time out, you log out, but you just fire it up again on your phone and you're right back where you were. It's just, it's a very it's a very smooth experience that is easier to pick up and put down, you know, kind of whenever you want it than any other Diablo game has been. It's just mm-hmm. really easy. Um, we have a question in chat, uh, Angel Nocturna saying it's on PC too. Yes, they just released the beta for the PC client at the same time they released the mobile game. Uh, it's it's uh, use it plays on live servers. It's there's not going to be a character wipe or anything like that at the end of the beta. It's just a beta of the client. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm afraid it is PC, It's Windows PC only, no Mac client. So uh, I'm sorry about that, Mac. Unless you got boot play. camp, yeah. Uh, yes, you can. You can always boot into Windows. I kind of think that's annoying, but you can. Um, and my personal favorite way of playing Diablo Immortal is to fire up my phone and cast it to my television. And uh, it plays uh, just like a console game. It plays just like work? Diablo 3. Okay. Um, What's your phone? Your phone on Android? Um, I have an iPhone, but, you know, Androids okay. can do this too. It just sort of, it really depends on what kind of TV you have or what kind of streaming device you have. Uh, yep. I have... I happen to have an Apple TV, so I can just turn on my phone and say, okay, mirror my screen to the Apple TV, and it just shows up, and it's very easy. But- Joe, you were going to say something? I was yeah, going to say, so- Liz is absolutely correct, like, as far as that goes. Like, if you have an Android or an Apple device, you can stream it. Like, 
Uh, I have a Roku TV or Roku capable TV, and it can actually it is capable of receiving from both as long as it's all on the same network. So Apple to iOS devices and Android devices can can stream to uh, those pretty well. And I saw Liz's set up the one day uh, pretty slick there with your controller and everything. Yep. Yep. And it's just it's like you would think taking a mobile game that I'm playing on, like, you know, a six inch screen in my hands and blowing it up to like a 55 inch television. You would think that would look really crappy. It does not. It looks amazing. It is the absolute best way to play Diablo Immortal. I highly recommend it. And the other thing is Diablo Immortal supports controllers. So if you have any kind of controller, well, there's a list of controllers it supports. But uh, it supports a lot of different kinds of controllers that you can connect to your phone or mobile device and then play on your TV. And it's kind of it's just kind of like playing a console game. It's, It's really slick. It's great. If you guys are in the chat, you're probably um, looking at what we're streaming right now. You'll notice I'm streaming Diablo Immortal. That's because I'm using the PC build right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm also literally playing in the on PC, PC beta. Yeah. Yeah. And I personally like the PC one better because my iPad is a little bit older. And so uh, because this is an MMO ARPG, going to Westmarch, my iPad kind of does not want to render Westmarch. Uh, it really doesn't want to render all those people in Westmarch. It's like, why are there so many people? Can we go back to Wortham? I don't want to be here. <laughs> so playing it on my PC, which is not new either. My PC is, is, is a few years old at this point. But it's new enough that it can run this a lot better. So for me, the PC is the best experience because it runs it the best. Um and plus, because I can be here, you know, like I said, you know, doing the podcast, and I can be at the same time inside Sanctuary, uh, messing around on my on my my barbarian here, who's really cool. I love also. I'm gonna I'm gonna gush about it every time we talk about this game. The character creation is the best thing in any Diablo game ever, in that you can actually customize your character, which you you know. Diablos one through three, you can't customize. The closest you get to customization is Diablo three. You can pick a gender, mm-hmm. and that was a big deal at the time. Uh, in terms of the game, though, I did want to bring this up. I honestly feel like this plays better than it has any right to. Like the 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 character abilities are pretty strong and and they're easy to get, and you know when you get them, and you can like use the ones you want. Uh, I'm actually enjoying this more than I was enjoying Diablo three for a while there. Mm-hmm. Um, I straight up, I think this is, it's a better game. Um, I, so yeah. I, I, I mean, also, I think go ahead. Go for it. Go for it. Joe. I've been talking a bunch. I also think that that's a function of the, uh, torrid history of Diablo three and what happened with it and how much it had to pivot before it became a playable game. Like, so like there's definitely some ghost uh, or artifacting of that when you play Diablo 3. Diablo Immortal, I think even though it had been like probably redone a few times from what we can see uh and got to where it is, at least has a it had a unified purpose. Um I have been having fun in it, although I will say that I uh I do have some gripes about the interface. Uh but these are I went on like a, a tweet review of it when I was like playing and just kind of like getting my thoughts together and throwing out, throwing them out there. I think it 
is a lot of fun. I think that microtransactions and grindiness aside, um, it is a very good Diablo game in that regard. I just wish that the UI was a little more um, transmutable. Like I have a huge monitor on my uh, PC and unfortunately, despite having a huge monitor, the game itself feels exceptionally cramped on it because of the UI, um, which is just a weird artifact. I know it's a weird artifact of mobile uh, aspect ratios and, and things like that. Uh, if I was playing on mobile and streaming to it, I think it might be better, but there's some some weird difference. Because like I'm looking at the PC one, I'm looking at people that have been playing on their mobile devices, and it definitely seems like it was geared more towards... Uh, for obvious reasons, more towards the mobile audience or the mobile mobile platform, because, well, that's what it was originally intended for. Uh, but it seems like what to Liz's point earlier, it scales up better than whatever they did for the PC game. It does play very, very well and very, very smoothly. And I do like the idea of auto navigation. I thought that was a really cool feature they added, um, which I understand is also likely because of the mobile thing. But. Honestly, like I, I wouldn't mind if that showed up in Diablo Four. Here's your quest. Do you want to go towards it? Like this has a set location. Uh, push button. We're gonna run. You can stop at any time to go exploring or grow. You know, trundle off somewhere. But here you go. You can just push a button and get to the next place. Really nice, actually. And accessibility wise, I think that's pretty nice too. So that's my thoughts. Sorry. Nope. Uh, Liz, you got anything else? No, I just, I think this is really a really spectacular game that um, I think maybe we didn't expect it to be as good as it was. Well, I, I mean, I, think, I didn't expect it to be on PC at all. And Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I mean, we know it's not perfect, right? Like the yeah. max, max level monetization is definitely questionable. Uh, but I mean, at least it's fun to get there. Or I, I haven't really pushed too far in the end game, so... So yeah, um, I, I was trying to see if there's anything else we were going to talk to. Yeah, Liz mentioned that. Do, 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 do. Um, this is actually something uh, I want to talk about because I think both Liz and I have been in a similar situation, although I've actually gotten on since. Um, <clears throat> we have two things to talk about involving World of Warcraft. The first up is going to be patch 9.2.5 because I want to get some time to dig in a, a bunker here so I can hide um, for the other discussion. <laughs> but <clears throat> I'm going to just say, rather than do a whole like listing of all the stuff from 9.2.5, we talked about a lot of it last week. We talked about uh, cross-faction, all that stuff. I want to ask you guys, if if you have anything that's been like a, a cool surprise from 9.2.5, what is it? Uh, Liz, I don't think you've gotten a chance to be in there yet, right? I, re I really played very little 9.2.5. I've gone in at raid nights, but I haven't jumped into i know there's some new quests which is really surprising it's surprising that they managed to surprise us with things we didn't expect and i'm looking forward to doing those i have just been really strapped for time lately okay so joe do you got anything i have really enjoyed the story quest stuff that is really there to greet you at the beginning um that's been one of my favorite things about 9.2.5 in particular, and these are things we are going to talk about probably on Lore Watch, and I'm going to not give specifics about them because, well, uh, that would be rude of me. But 
I like the whole storyline with Ardenweld and Taronda and the Night Elves and kind of getting not necessarily closure because it's not done, but having a better idea of where the next steps are going to go at least a little bit or having a hint. And I thought that was really, really nice. And that was something that I actually did not expect. And then the other thing was the taking back of Lordaeron, which I thought was we were speculating what was going to happen with the the Forsaken. We have been talking about this for ever since since Lordaeron was blighted. Uh, Matt and I have had tons of questions about this on Lore Watch. We've speculated. We speculated here. We actually now have a at least not a conclusion there either, not a closure, but starting to make things make a little bit more sense for where these where these races are going to be in the world, where they fit in with their respective everything, like as far as like their their power structures and and how they're going to interact with other uh, members of their factions, et cetera, et cetera. I actually really liked it. I thought it was I thought those were really nice touches uh, and it was more than I expected out of them as well. So if you haven't played 9.2.5 or if you've been dreading coming back, at least come back. and, And if you're even remotely interested in either of the stories, the things about the Forsaken and what's happening with the Night Elves, play those out. They're the first two things that greet you. Plus, the uh, I don't want to call it a hidden transmog, but it was kind of a weird way to find it. Once you complete the, the Lordaeron questline, you can go and transmog yourself into a Dark Ranger. You get a full set of armor. It also unlocks uh, special customization for your character to let you, if you are a Blood Elf or a Night Elf, make yourself an undead red-eyed uh, ranger. An, a, it's a dark ranger. It's really, really cool. Uh, I didn't realize this until we started, I think Stoppable Force and our guild pointed this out, that you could actually get the uh, the transmog from the Hunter's Lodge in uh, High Mountain. So like it was an excuse to go back there of all places. And then it made sense because the first thing you are greeted with when you get there is a dark ranger. Because they're walking in as you're walking in. And it's like, oh, okay, this kind of makes sense. Because, uh, thank you, Red. Void void elves, too. High elves, technically. Uh, but elves, elves in general can get this, which is nice. But it was just a nice little touch. It was a nice little nod. And because of the unseen path and both factions being involved in it, Matt and I literally just talked at length on this week's Lore Watch about Order Halls. Uh, but having all the hunters in there and having that common goal despite their faction or despite their, their nature, like with the dark Rangers was a really nice touch. And it was worth the, the thousand gold that the cosmetic set is after you unlocked it to have my character finally be zipping around as a dark Ranger, which has been my head cannon since wrath of the Lich King Wrathgate. So yeah, really nice touch. I've been enjoying 9.2.5 so far. Cool. Oh, I have to talk. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was getting really into what I was doing in, in Diablo Immortal. Um, yeah, it's been a Diablo Immortal week for me. I'm not going to lie. I did not go on very much. Uh, but I did. the stuff Joe was just talking about was going to be part of what I was going to talk about. Basically, I like that we're getting a continuation of the Battle for Azeroth stuff. We're, we're actually getting to see, okay, while whilst we were off in the Deadlands, what's been going on on Azeroth? So we got a bit of that, and I like that quite a bit. Um, but I also just plain like the fact that we got cross faction. Like, I think it is 
we talked about it last week, so I'm not going to go and you know, drag on and on about it here, but I just think it's great. I think it is such a good thing. Um, I get to do stuff with my friends that have been playing Alliance forever, and I've been playing Horde yeah. since Mists, like, or back, yeah. to, back to Horde since Mists. Like, I'm actually getting to do stuff with friends of that didn't never made that plunge and didn't want to level another character. Great. It's making me super happy. Yeah. I mean, I haven't actually even gotten to use it yet, but I just think it's great that it exists. Um, it's just really nice. But um, here's where we, we move from that to something a little bit more contentious. Uh, there was a, a preview last week from Blizzard of the upcoming talent trees <laughs> and how they're going to work in Dragonflight. Now, I swear Look to you, over I there will is a remain. sandwich. I'm going to jump over here now. You guys go talk. No. <laughs> I swear but to you, no, I will remain constructive. Yeah. Um, I don't. I know that Liz. We, we won't. We won't even. We've done this before. We know that Liz really likes that the talent trees are coming back. We know that Joe is is a much less enthused about it, and we know that I float around in the middle between the two of them, which is really unusual for me. Usually, I'm on the extreme somewhere. I'm not really sure what to do with being kind of like not particularly <laughs> invested in the argument. So yeah. Um, first off, I'm going to, I'm going to give this one to Liz to start. Talk about what you're excited about, what, what you, from the preview, what you saw that, that you think is interesting. I, I know it's Druids and Death Knights and not classes you necessarily play, but what did you get out of the preview? Yeah. I mean, that's the tricky part. They previewed two classes and like you said, neither of these are classes I play. So I'm I'm really just getting a look at kind of the ideas and the design here. But I do I do like it. I like that you have one of the things that the current talent system brought us when we moved in was that you had a real your identity was very strongly tied to your spec. And before that, you could kind of be all over the map. Like you were a paladin, and then what you were after that depended on which talents you chose, and you could hybridize a lot hybridization wasn't necessarily the best way to build your character wasn't probably was never the best way to build your character but you could if you wanted to and in the current talent system you go and say okay i'm gonna select this button i'm a holy paladin and you get this whole shift in what your character is that's really very strongly defined by by the fact that you're holy instead of retribution or protection and that is kind of neat that you have a solid spec identity on top of a class identity. So what I like about this new talent tree system is they seem to be trying to preserve that idea of having a specific spec identity that's beyond your class. But they're also, you know, adding all these options and they're adding. So you have a like a core sort of talent tree for your class and then you have a talent tree for your spec. So you can build out your your class stuff, and they have a separate pool of talent points. So you can build out your class stuff and kind of hybridize and, and customize there. And then you can build out your spec talent tree and kind of really hone in on what your spec identity is. Yeah, I just... The, the thing I think maybe Joe and I agree with here is that what I want is options to customize my character and customize my playstyle the way I want. And I want some meaningful choices in my talents that I can change around, that I might want to change around, which I don't feel like I have in the game with the current system. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, that's a reasonable goal. There's a lot of, there's probably tons and tons of ways to get there. And, uh, 
I like talent trees because I feel like they give me those extra choices. Uh, I also feel like whether you like talent trees or whether you're dubious of talent trees, it sort of depends on whether you feel in the current system you have a lot of control and customization over your character in the current talent system. I do not feel like that. So I'm looking at these talent trees and I'm looking, wow, there are all these, I'm going to be able to do all these things. Maybe I'll be able to make some crazy builds. This is going to be really exciting because, and that's, that's because I feel like I don't have a lot of customization options right now. Uh, so I'm going to throw it to Joe and see if we actually do think completely, totally, totally separate things here. Not exactly. So here's, I agree with the core concept of everything you said, because it's what I want too. I want customization. I'm actually not opposed to talent trees. The things that I'm opposed to though, are taking core abilities and making them choices because that's not a meaningful choice. And there's a couple, there's a couple reasons I feel like that, right? Um, it's, I remember the days of you not getting invited to groups if you weren't specced a very specific way. Having core things carved out of uh, like your pool of abilities and put into talent trees fosters that, right? It's, it's a hard thing to separate. What I would prefer to see, and, and I'm not a game designer, and this is just my opinion, I would prefer to see things that fundamentally alter your things without taking anything away from your core. We often use the example when I'm talking about this of like interrupts, not everybody, not every healer has an interrupt now and they can spec into it. I'm also of the mindset of every healer should have an interrupt. There's no reason any class shouldn't have an interrupt at this point, especially when there's been a lot of focus on higher end, small, uh, high end, small group content. Um, that's where I think this starts to fall a little bit short of what I what I would feel as real meaningful choice, because you're not going to have it. you're going to have the people that speed run what the best spec is, and then that's going to be what everybody does. And then if nobody's running that spec, you're going to get into the same spot that and, and I had definitely have a little bit of a sore spot for this, because I remember the days of shaman not being invited to anything if you were a resto shaman because they weren't the best for X content. Um, It's 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 a weird line. The other thing that I think is a little bit weird with how they're doing things now is as opposed to having it uh, alter things that your class does and maybe makes you better at something or lets you customize how you do something without taking away your core. Um, and this is a hot take that I said in chat, and I'm going to say it here so I can kind of articulate the point a little bit. WoW is an MMO RPG with a very light touch on the RPG. You don't get quest choices yet. They're, I know they're, they're working on that right now, and we've seen that they're trying to implement some of that stuff, but a lot of the talent tree stuff that I'm seeing seems to be more akin to what we were talking about with Horizon Forbidden West uh, or any of the other myriad of other single-player RPG games where your choice can change on the fly because you're the only one that has to sort of work with your uh, what 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 you choose. The problem with an MMO is that's not the case. It's not just you and how you interact with it. Liz, you and I like we literally just had a raid last night where three of the four healers had to like make drastic changes for one encounter because mm -hmm. we had to balance for our group, and I'm fine 
with that to a certain extent, but if you start carving things away from the core, then I start to feel like you, you're weakening that for the illusion of choice. That That's my one opinion. I want more choice. I want more things that make things feel customized and different, but I don't want things to make classes feel weaker or feel make players feel they have to play a certain way to play certain content. That's always my fear. So I think the yeah. I, I'm still on the team. I like I don't like the current talent system. I think that it is way too streamlined. I don't like the old talent system. I think it is way too cluttered. I think the the truth is somewhere in the happy medium. And for me right now, from what I'm seeing, and I haven't had my hands on it, and I haven't touched it yet. It's swinging too far back towards the original with just and that doesn't feel good to me. It's not what I want. And I, and again, I know a lot of people out there are going to disagree with me and that's fine. This is just my opinion on it. And I apologize. Well, I think one thing that's really important to remember here and all of your points are really valid, Joe. And I honestly think we want exactly the same thing. I think we, we do. want meaningful choices. I mean, it's just a question of how do we get to those meaningful choices? I don't know. And but one thing I think we really have to remember is that this is an early preview of the system. So if there are things we don't like, this is the time to tell Blizzard. And I think it's really great that they are giving us previews that are clearly early previews because they don't always do this. We usually get system previews kind of late into development when this is already baked into the system. There's only so much room for change when you roll out an alpha or a beta and we're seeing a new system in action. It's like, okay, we can tweak and refine it a little bit, but we can't just scrap it and start over. But right now we're getting a pretty early look at this is the impression I get. So it is a great time for us to offer feedback and say all of the stuff you were saying there, Joe. And it's early enough that you know, we could affect change. And we've seen a lot of examples lately where Blizzard has listened to feedback and made, you know, significant changes. So, Agreed. And, yeah. and and there's more to it, too, that I wanted to bring up a little bit as well. That was from the preview. And I made I made a couple spicy tweets about it because it opened up an old wound. And I wanted to get both of your takes on it. One thing that always bothered me was this this influx from. So back in the old days of, of raiding in Vanilla and Burning Crusade, you had to bring specific compositions of classes. You did not have a oh, choice. Yeah. Um, you could not do SSE if you did not have a, a geared enough warlock. You just couldn't because you couldn't get past Leotheris. Um, or you couldn't kite things the right way because you needed X number of extra tanks. And this couple of them had to be spellcaster tanks, which meant they had to be warlocks. You were locked into compositions. And a lot of that also happened with like raid buffs. And I'll use bloodlust and heroism as the prime example of that. Before they made it raid wide, you had to run one shaman for every group. Now, the reason I'm saying have to is because when this started to happen, raid design and encounter design was very heavily balanced upon these ideas. What buffs did you have? What classes did you have? And did you have everything you need? And there's this kind of sliding scale. And I understand that this is, there's a lot of nuance to encounters. And I love the quote that Matt brings up all the time is the, be, the, the job of an encounter designer is to lose convincingly. And then I get to a fight like Anduin. And I just look at that fight and it's not losing convincingly to me. It's just brutal and weird ways. And then I'm wondering how things like having Mark of the Wild back 
is Mark of the Wild going to be something with the pure percentages and that buff that they're going to start designing around? Now, it doesn't really affect us. We have 8,000 druids in our group, but if a raid group doesn't have access to a druid, does that make a difference? Or is it a shared buff like it used to be? I think Burning Crusade, some of the buffs started occupying the same space. It might have been might have been Wrath. I can't remember. It's been a long year, and there's a lot of information in this brain that I just jumbles together. But at some point, certain buffs started overlapping, right? Um, it, it's... And then I'm trying to think of some other things. And Padilla brings this up in chat. This is also on the tip of my mind. Like, And then if you only have so many spots and you need so many buffs, if you don't have people that have raid classes with buff, do you leave one home and take one that does have the buff? It, it There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of, and I understand this is early, but there's a lot of unknowns that come along with this right now. And I would like to know more about the design philosophy that they're going for because they keep talking about choice, choice, choice. That's fine and dandy. That's really like it's a really ethereal concept. Bioshock Infinite gives you choice. At the end of the game, choice does not matter. It is the illusion of choice as you move through it. You're still getting to the same endpoint. You're still making decisions, but those decisions actually don't matter. So, are we getting the illusion of choice, or are we actually getting choice? What's the actual design philosophy behind it? I'm hoping that as things move along we'll get more information about that. I'd love to sit down and talk with the people that are designing these systems and just ask them, what's the intent? How does this feed into encounter design? How does this feed into collaborative gameplay? Because the MMO portion of this is really, really important. And something like a 5% arcane intellect buff is pretty trivial. Yes, for a degree, but something like a 3% damage reduction isn't. And, and those are things that have to be looked at. Like if you don't have that and you're taking 3% more damage than other groups that do have that, is that a problem? I just want more information at this point. I'm not, I'm not doom and glooming it. I'm not sitting here and saying this is the worst thing ever and flipping the table and like pretending I'm Sasquatch from uh, Futurama <laughs> where I'm just like throwing leaves in the air. I think there's potential here in what we're seeing, but we need to have an actual conversation about this and make sure that we're giving feedback. I'm dying to get my hands on, on on access so that I can actually try the talent system because I back in the olden days when they did the first talent system revamp, I think I wrote like 10 pages and shipped it off as feedback when they did the, the streamlined one. I think I did the same thing. I'm glad to do this now because uh, with the same one, I want this to be good. I want this to give players what they're looking for. I want everybody to feel they're getting something from here, but I also want to make sure that whatever we get doesn't have a way that makes players feel excluded. Does that make sense? I, like I'm trying to articulate the point and I apologize. Like I, I it's been a week. So trying to get the, the, the thoughts to coalesce properly is sometimes a little bit hard, but hopefully that makes more sense to you listeners and where my, my standpoint is, this is not me sitting there saying I'm never going to love this system. I just don't know yet. I don't have enough information. And I know I'm really looking forward to seeing the talents of a class that I actively play, particularly mm -hmm. paladins. And who knows? I could be flipping tables myself at that point if the design choices don't feel good to me. But like one thing Joe just said about Joe and I raid together and Joe was just saying that all of the healers switch talents just for this specific fight. And I'm like, no. I pick talents and those are my talents and uh, that's that's all she wrote. So it's like, I don't feel like I have 
the control to make choices like that. And that's, that's what I want. Yeah. You were so, the, you were the one out of the four of us that didn't. Right. Yeah. And that, that, and that yeah. feels bad. That feels bad. When, yeah, like, it does. When like, you know, Rosa and Rez and I are swapping our specs out, trying to get the min max and you feel you don't have choice. That should never be the case. Well, and I also feel like there's nothing I can do to make myself more powerful. You know, y'all think you can customize and tailor to the fight. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to sit here and be a paladin. Got it. And then there's also like the other thing too, that has always been a problem that I don't know that this is going to fix, but I see chat going on about this. And this is something I think about a lot. And I, I think about this, even going back to corruption, corruption was a really cool concept that was added to the game for a lot. Not everybody loved it. I actually really liked it. If I wasn't on my healer because corruption <laughs> didn't do anything for me. And at the end of the day, as a healer, 5% intellect doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't really make a divine impact because I'm already stacking so much int. I could probably fill a bucket with my runoff. Like it, there, there, it's just 5% doesn't really matter in the end in that context. But for somebody like a damage dealing class that does use int, that might actually be something that matters to them. So I would like to see if they are going to, if they are going to do things that give flat buffs or, try to give buffs that there's more conscious thought into who is it impacting and is it supposed to be, and maybe give healers a bone here, right? Like give us something, let us feel involved in something because most of the systems and most of the talent stuff hasn't for a while. So yeah, I'm going to shut up. I talked a whole lot. No, that's what we were expecting. That's what we wanted. Um, and see, the, the, I, the, the house is still in one piece. It's not on fire. You're fine, Rossi. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate, but you know, I, I'm going to throw in one thing here. Uh, I was looking at uh, Sepulchre of the First Ones. Uh, Sepulchre of the First Ones. Yeah, that, that is what it's called. I keep wanting to mix it up with uh, Sanctum uh, in my head for some reason, but I was looking over the how classes are doing, how the damage dealing classes have been doing, and... Arms Warriors were really near the bottom, but Fury Warriors were even worse. And I looked at that and going, yeah, I'm willing to try a new talent system now. Because yeah. they were just, they were in the basement. They yeah. were so low. That's never been, like, Warriors usually by the end of an expansion are usually doing really well. Not really badly. Oh, um, well, so. one last thing. I really hope that one other thing that they could look at while they're doing this is... Just let us swap talents at this point as long as we're not in combat. Don't maybe have to have a book for it or something at this point. Just just make it free, especially if there's going to be that much swapping and, and potential and choices. Like, why? Why why make, tie it to a resource at this point? Yeah, well, we don't even know how that's going to work. We don't yeah, even know if you're going to be able to swap talents. You may, have to go to. And, you may have to go back to town and pay somebody to swap them on you. I will riot. <laughs> <laughs> I I do hope it's easy to switch around because being easy to switch around lets us experiment and try out weird things that may not always be practical, but oh, really God. tailor ourselves to what we want to do at this exact moment in time. I just and, realized, I just imagined hmm. that they might actually instead go back to the original Diablo system where you couldn't change them at all. Oh God! No, I don't. I don't think they will. I no, they won't. Been... I'm just being me. I'm being an imp. <laughs> but in in all sincerity, I I do think that there, it's too early for me to make a call on this. I haven't seen anything. The only one like I play a Death Knight, but honestly, I play my Death Knight. Yeah, you know, somebody who can play like one or two songs 
on a piano, but they don't know anything about reading music or what notes they're hitting. They just know this one song. I'm like that with a death knight. I can tank on a death knight. That's basically it. If they completely change all the talents around and I have to relearn tanking on my death knight, it's not going to be a problem. I will figure out which abilities make threat, which abilities keep me from falling over and I'll figure it out. But I don't like, I, I don't know druids worth anything. And I don't know how this is going to affect classes like, like paladins as I do play a paladin and I do like playing my paladin or warriors or even shaman. We won't until we get uh, our hands on it, right? Yeah. Like, and he's, well, not even until we get our hands on it or I further. Discussion. I think at this point, at least seeing a post about it would at least give me grist to think about. I, one thing I absolutely don't want to go back to is the days of Colossus smash as the be all end all where you have to time all your damage abilities for when Colossus smashes on it or the armor pen days. Cause Oh my word, the armor pen day, but we will see when we get there. I think at this point we are going to move on. Cause there's other stuff to talk about. I want to talk about this one really fast. I don't know how much we'll even have to say about it, but they did the big, I say big, it should be quotes. There's like finger quotes going on here. The big announcement that dragon age four's name is going to be dragon <laughs> age Dreadwolf. And nothing else. They told us absolutely nothing new. Literally nothing. And the title itself doesn't even tell us anything new. Because we already knew that the character that it is named after was going to be in the game and was going to be pivotal to the game. And it's like, guys, I don't know if you know this, but but you put out Dragon Age Inquisition in, in 2014. And and the, the Trespasser expansion, the, the last DLC, came out in 2015. And it is 2022. And you put out Anthem in the meantime. And drove away a whole lot of people. You guys really need to give us more information about this game than the name of the game. Like, I, I, I love Dragon Age. I, I'm probably the second most excited about dragon age person in this podcast. Um, but I need you to tell me something like something that I haven't already gotten from, from like a, uh, from a gate from a GDC or something two years ago when you did your trailer reveal. That's that was two years ago. You did a trailer review. It was very pretty. What is this game? I mean, can you really call it a trailer? I mean, it was like some like a teaser concept trailer. art. It was, yeah, it was a teaser. Well, they also did that thing where they walked around near the riverbank and talked about themselves, which was also yeah. not about the game. And you know, cool. I'm I like you guys at Bioware. I'm glad to get to see some of you and, and find out your names and all that. That's great. What are you trying to get me to play? What is this game going to be? You've you've changed horses on this game four times. Yeah, you've you've gotten the different person. Mark Dara left after you put him in charge. Mark Dara left, and he made a video about how upset he was with you. Um, that you you lost Mike Laidlaw, who's now off at other companies doing other things. I mean, you know, Patrick Weeks. I have a lot of respect for Patrick Weeks. Good writer, good storyteller, but. What is this game? You were making <laughs> I mean, you were making a heist game. Then you trashed that so you could make Anthem with dragons. And then you trashed that because Anthem. 
and and then you had no idea what you were doing and then respawn made a really good single player game and so the people at EA said oh hey we can still do that all right sure do that and so now that's what you're doing but what is it I don't know anything about the game, but I do know that we did get some good news about uh, Dragon Age over the uh, the last couple of days as well. I think yesterday, as a matter of fact, because the uh, the Dragon Age QA workers unanimously voted to leave to unionize. Yeah, and that's good. <laughs> um, absolutely. See, I don't know if that's good news because what I worry when these when these QA people unionize is that okay, well, in six months their entire department is going to be eliminated and they're going to be out of jobs because this is traditionally what large companies do with unions. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so I, if enough of them, if enough people yes. at the company then unionize as well, you know, at this point we're kind of starting to see the beginnings of what could mm-hmm. be a really nice snowball effect. But I hope so. Regardless of that, I think it is time for you to tell us what you are going to try to sell us. Because I've seen, I did a post about this for the site, and there are like only a few comments on it. And the first one is about how betrayed they feel about how you left Anthem, you know, just sitting there and you didn't fix it and you just walked away. And so he can't even play the game that he bought. People are not. Yeah, you, and you, you, I don't think you understand how upset people actually are about Anthem. No, they don't, and I, I think they forget that they don't have the, the necessary uh, brand power that they used to either. Like, nope. Back in back in ye olden days, uh, there are certain companies that could you know announce uh, just a a hint of a game. They could just tell you the name of it, and people would go wild because the quality that they had put out beforehand spoke you know volumes of what they were going to do. Bioware was one of them and then Bioware happened and then Anthem happened and everything else that happened, you know, they're, they don't have the brand recognition that they or the loyalty that they think they still have. So like I'm with Matt on this point, tell us more about it. Tell us what the heck's going on. I get it's Dreadwolf. So, okay. It's probably going to involve Solace at some point. That's fine. Yeah. Which we knew because he's in the, he's in which the teaser. We knew and- Cause he's in the treaser. Yeah, exactly. Like, Okay, cool. What are we doing? Are we, we going to go punch gods? Like, or are we going to go like, are we going to become wolves? Like, am I going to, am I going to have Midna riding on my back? Like what's going to happen here? Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, Liz, you, you know, we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. Trespasser basically set this whole thing up. Yeah. Well, Trespasser, Trespasser ended everything on kind of a cliffhanger. And obviously the next game kind of has to take it from there. So I feel like, We've known this is going to be Dreadwolf about the Dreadwolf since we finished playing Trespasser seven years ago. And that's the thing that that the development time between Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age 2 was like two and a half to three years. The development time between Dragon Age 2 and Dragon Age 3 was like three to four years. We're now looking at the end of seven years and we have almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, and, I, and again, this sounds like I'm being hypercritical of Bioware. And to a degree, none of this is Bioware's fault, or at least not the people at Bioware who are making the game. It's not their fault. Uh, a lot of it is corporate interference. Act, you know, EA, I said Activision because I automatically go there, but EA isn't better than Activision. Come on. Uh, EA basically deciding we want everything to be live service. We want people to constantly always be giving us more money when they play the game. 
that's what we want. We want something like Anthem. Make something like Anthem. Make Anthem and then make something like Anthem. I get that. Anthem did not work because it wasn't what Bioware was really good at doing. And plus, I'm going to be completely upfront here. We didn't need Destiny 2.5. <laughs> uh, Destiny barely manages to be Destiny. We didn't need another Destiny. <sighs> so yeah, I, I think at this point, we really just... You really do need to, and I think this is actually true for a lot of game companies, not just Bioware, not just ones that have like you know done something that has upset fans. In general, people do not have the patience for this anymore. No. Um, Liz pointed out last week, we're all getting older here. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a limited amount of time and money to spend on things because I have to like, you know, pay a mortgage on a house and take care of my animals. And, you know, my wife and I have things we need to do. We want to buy your games and love them and play them. You have to tell us what they are. Why should I make time? Why should, why should I carve out time for your game when I could, you know, spend my $16 on uh, game pass and try a bunch of games or, or whatever the case is like, finding time to play games is hard. It gets harder as you get older. You have more, like you said, more things to take care of. So like I used to call it way back when I, when I had a, a, I was on another podcast years ago. uh, I used to call it my 30 minute rule when I would pick up random games and you had 30 minutes to capture my attention or I just wasn't playing anymore because that's generally how my attention span was because at the time we were just getting flooded with game after game after game after game. We're still getting flooded with all these games. So with stuff we know that's coming on the horizon, stuff that is of known quantity that, you know, developers are actually telling us about, why should I make time for your game? Sell me, sell me on something more than just a teaser that it's coming. What this really makes me worry about, the lack of information, I worry that they don't have any information to share because Mm -hmm. this game has gone through so many development incarnations and every time they hype up, we're going to say something about Dragon Age, we've got a big announcement, it's basically like, so Dragon Age is a thing and we really love Dragon Age and we're working on Dragon Age and like that's kind of the extent of the information they give every time they hype up an announcement. And it's like, I, I just, I'm very concerned because that implies to me that they have nothing to say about the game. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good sign after seven years, but it also seems very likely with the number of times we have heard the game's development has completely changed direction. Yeah, we're so, on the fourth version of this game. Yeah. So, so yeah. like we talk about, it's been in development for seven years, but the current iteration of the game has not been in development for seven years. So they literally shut it down completely. They had a finished version, like a finished ready to go to like alpha testing version of it. And they stripped it completely, didn't they? They scrapped it. Yeah. Yeah. They just scrapped it. That was the heist version. That's when they fired. That's when Mike Ladlaw walked out of the company. He was so mad. That's just, you know, Mike Ladlaw was like big. He was the writer and And he was a huge thing for dragon age. Didn't he was the one in charge of, of working on dragon age four. And he had a game ready to test and they scrapped it for an Anthem clone. Didn't they? So he walked out. Didn't that original group too? Like, as they lost a bunch of developers didn't they go on to develop literally a heist game, like based off of Robin hood. They might've, yeah, I I don't, that I don't know. But I'm like, yeah, because I remember, because I just, I do know, however, I remember pointing out that 
this was right around the time that Blades in the Dark came out. Yes, it is. Yep. 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 So that that's to me, that was going to be a really good idea to do a heist, a Dragon Age heist game, especially since Patrick Weeks has been the writer for years now. And Patrick Weeks wrote two novels about fantasy heisting. Yes, he did. Um, so, but at this point, I think we're going to move on because this show has gotten pretty long and we haven't actually even done any questions, which I don't think we're going to. Because <laughs> I want to talk about the PlayStation Showcase. I also want to talk about something else, but we'll see if, how, how quickly we get there. The PlayStation Showcase was this weekend. Uh, the only thing I want to talk about is Stray. And what I want to do is have Liz talk about Stray while I sit here and stare and wish I had a, a PlayStation because I want to play Stray so badly. So talk about Stray, Liz. Uh, I mean, it's a game where you play a stray cat and there are robots and I'm, I'm just here for it. That's, it that's like my entire... It's like a cyberpunk is, kitty game. It's like yeah, a cyberpunk Neo, Neo cat game. I am so into this. It's how could you not want to play this game? It's going to be great. At least I, I really hope it's great. It looks like a lot of fun from the trailers. But yeah, that's that was the thing I wanted to talk about. I don't know, you know, like I'm sure they did a bunch of other stuff, but I, I'm I'm so off the loop on PlayStation stuff that I didn't really. Uh, the last thing I read about from PlayStation was the uh, God of War accessibility changes, which we talked about last mm-hmm. week, which are great. Keep doing more of that. But maybe maybe Joe could chime in here about God of War about some of the about the PlayStation stuff <laughs> that came up. Yeah, there's a lot of PlayStation stuff that's coming up, but there is one really important thing that I really wanted to talk about, which is a lot of those PlayStation exclusives are coming to PC. So that was my big takeaway from that, because the individual games, Street Fighter six, all that stuff, that's great. The fact that like Spider-Man remastered is coming to PC and I've been yelling at the top of my lungs for everybody to play this game. I'm super amped about that, but it also means that Sony's starting to take one chip shortages seriously, which they haven't been able to do Uh, Two, learning that exclusives are great, but you don't make money off that recurring game. So uh, like being able to sell uh, your game, if you don't have a system, people can play it on playing. I, I have a PS five. I got really, really lucky. And playing like Miles Morales and Spider-Man on it is great in high definition on a high definition TV. Absolutely fantastic. Not everybody's that lucky. And playing it on a, on a PS4, sure, you can do that. It, it's going to be lacking in visual quality. Not a lot. Insomniac did a great job. But being able to say, hey, people have computers. People have most computers that have comparable specs to a PS4 or more. Why not do that? Also, let's take a yeah. look at Microsoft. Microsoft has been doing this for months and months and months, and it's working for them. I think last well, year that, they, they did it so that you could yeah. you could play your Xbox games on PC before they were available as PC standalone titles. And it was huge. It sold Game Pass like gangbusters. Yeah, and Game Pass is the other thing. Microsoft has Game Pass and mm-hmm. Sony does not have anything comparable. Well, I mean, they have their thing, but it just does not. Compare. They have PlayStation but now, here, right? Yeah. Here's the other thing: is that Sony is has a new version of PlayStation Plus, basically that they're rolling out, I believe, next week, which is a lot more like Game Pass that has all of these games that you can. That's just, where Stray is going to be, right? Yeah, Stray, Stray is going to start out there. I believe. And Stray will also be on PC, by the way. Yeah, but. Uh, So I'm very curious to see how that goes. The announcement says 
400 games and we'll see, you know, are they 400 games we want to play? How is this going to work out? Um, and I know there's like the base subscription, which is just the same as PlayStation Plus now. And then there's the, you know, $15 a month subscription, which is you get the PlayStation Plus stuff. But you also get access to all of these games, this huge game library that you can just play. So I'm really curious to try that out and see just how it feels compared to Game Pass, because I love Game Pass. It's just so great to have just immediate access to all of these games and you can mm -hmm. try things out that you never would have bought. Mm -hmm. And you may really love. You find new and exciting things to do. So I hope the PlayStation version is also good and fun. Yeah, I, at this point, though, I am going to move on to the last thing because this is one I put in the email because Joe and I talked about it at the weekend, and <laughs> I, I really think it's interesting. Warhammer 40K and Warhammer <laughs> Fantasy Roleplaying and Warhammer, the, the Siege game, all of those are related properties from Games Workshop. They've got like, I, I, like eight games coming out or are just recently released. I think eight, eight uh, games Total Warhammer... Out. Total Warhammer Three is available. I'm sorry, dude. I'm I'm taking over. I'm not. No, no. Go that. for it, man. Let's let's. Uh, your, to Total your War Warhammer guy. <laughs> Total War Warhammer Three is actually out. It's actually on Game Pass. You can download it and play it. It's it's a laugh ride if you like mass army combat games. It's not very granular RTSE. It's more war simulation, but it's available. But they have uh, seven other games that are going to be coming out really really soon. Uh, with, uh, I believe, if I heard through the grapevine, there's another three or four unannounced game projects coming out. Um, some of these include, and we can go into specifics about them once I name the titles, because I know there's one that Matt was interested in because of Owlcat, which is Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader, which is an RPG, an open world RPG. Uh, we have Warhammer 40k Space Marine 2, which is a third person shooter adventure game. Uh, you have your Total Warhammer, Total War Warhammer 3, which again is available. Blood Bowl 3, which I actually just got into the beta for, uh, which is probably my favorite Games Workshop game of all times. Uh, you have Warhammer, Warhammer 40k Dark Tide, uh, which is a lot like Left 4 Dead. You have for, uh, Warhammer 40k Shooters Blood and Teeth, uh, which is ridiculous. Like, I don't know how else to put it. It is just orcs being orcs. Uh, Warhammer 40k Chaos Gate Demon Hunters. Uh, which is actually out now, I believe, as well. Uh, there's the Chain Gun here. game, too? And there's the Chain Gun game as well, which is a retro-inspired uh, Doom-like Doom -like game, including the old retro like graphics, which have been really popular lately in first-person shooters. There's a lot coming out, and like I'm very, very surprised at how quickly it's coming out altogether. Uh, but I'm also here for it, because this is a universe that I, I've been playing since... 96, 94, somewhere in that range. Yeah. So. The thing that I caught me, though, is that in a very real way, without Warhammer and War Warhammer 40K, there wouldn't be a Blizzard. Yeah, there's a whole story behind that we've talked about yeah. before. But Blizzard basically, original Warcraft, they made that game to be a Warhammer game. It was supposed to be a Warhammer Fantasy RTS. Yeah, and in, then they didn't, you know, obviously it didn't happen. And Starcraft, Starcraft you know, was rumored, and they never confirmed this, but Starcraft was rumored to be... Uh, when they were working on the first one, they were also doing a sci-fi version to try to make a 40K RTS. Yeah, and even if they weren't, I mean, War Warhammer 40K and StarCraft share a lot of DNA. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just that's just the way it is. Uh, so seeing Warhammer coming out with all these games at a time like this is very interesting to me. Um, I did want to talk about Rogue Trader because Rogue Trader is... 
I have not seen a Warhammer or Warhammer 40k flat out role playing game ever for for computers. This just this has yeah. never happened. Yeah, this is the first this knowledge. is the first RPG video game for them. Like um, true RPG, open world RPG. For, you know, for this franchise. And what well, Alcat has just come off of making what a lot of people are calling the best CRPG that has ever been made. And it's a particular type of CRPG. The problem with the with computer role-playing game or CRPG as a term is it's almost meaningless now. Because there's so many different kinds of computer role-playing games you can get. Uh, for instance, you know, well, let's use the example of, of Dragon Age Inquisition. That's a computer role-playing game. So is Mass Effect 3, technically, although it's also a shooter. But then there's the old games, like, for example, Baldur's Gate 3 is coming out, and that's going to be an isometric top-down computer role-playing game. That's the way they, they were during the heyday of, of BioWare's Infinity Engine games, like Baldur's mm-hmm. Gate 1 and 2. Alcat just got done making Wrath of the Righteous, which a lot of people think is the best to date CRPG of that type ever made. Um, and a lot of people think that it's going to get eclipsed in a couple of months when Baldur's Gate 3 comes out. But regardless, until that time, this is still always going to be one of the... It's it's up there with Divinity in, in people's minds. Mm-hmm. And now they're moving on to doing a Warhammer game. They're moving away from Paizo's and- Pathfinder and into Warhammer. And they're doing a role-playing game using the Warhammer setting, which is completely different from Pathfinder. The interest- and that, to me, is fascinating. The interesting thing, too, is the price point on it. Like, I'm starting to look at the prices that they're proposing for it. Like, it, the core pack, which is, like, the game, early beta access, traditional stuff that you would expect from, like, early purchasing, it's only 40 bucks American. The premium digital one, which comes, like, with, like, some extra items and an, a unique uh, void ship model, because you, one of the things in this game is you are going to be on a void ship going through space, Uh it's only 50 us like with the like creeping high cost of games and knowing the production value of Owlcat, that is, that is great. Like I am, I am impressed. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Uh, but at this point we are basically out of time. So we didn't get to do the thing (laughs) I wanted to do. So we're going to do it as a final thoughts. Okay. Uh, Liz, Four final yeah. thoughts. Uh, somebody named Liz sent a question in via our Discord, wanting huh. to know what every Q writer's favorite Star Trek character is, and please explain your choice. Now, we're not the Q, but I don't care. So, <laughs> Liz, who's your favorite Star Trek character, and please explain your choice. <laughs> Man, y'all are you're, you're really setting me up here. I wanted to set up everyone else, and y'all are putting me on the spot. Um, it's, uh, it's data from the next generation because, I mean, I, I always sort of gravitate to those characters who are kind of like a fish out of water who don't quite fit in and they're trying to understand this strange world that they're living in and they're trying to integrate or learn. And, uh, so yeah, it's data. It's like, uh, I, I don't know what else to tell you. He was just such an interesting character in that you had this android who was always kind of off, but as the series progressed, he got just a little bit more human, he, or at least he understood better. And you, it was really fun to watch all of Star Trek from day one to the final day, 
the evolution of this character kind of learning and growing. And I thought that was just, that was really beautifully done. And uh, Brent Spiner is just a great actor. And there were some, (laughs) there were some really wild episodes where he really got to show off. I was talking about this in discord just today, an episode called a fistful of datas in which they're in the holodeck and every character is played by data. You just had some crazy things they did with Brent Spider, and it was so much fun. I love the character. Okay. Joe, same question. I've got a, I hate to say it, like it's a three-way tie and it's not probably going to be anybody, any people that anybody thought I would pick. I loved Odo. I thought he was fantastic. I absolutely loved that, that pretentious wound up pile of goo. Uh, (laughs) He was a security officer on Deep uh, on uh, Deep Space Nine. For anybody who doesn't know him, but I just loved his character and uh, played by Re- the amazing Rene Abrajanal. I was just going to say, yeah. and 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 Rene yeah. did such a absolutely phenomenal job in that role. Like it was just really, really great. I absolutely loved it. Um, the next one is going to be Jedzia Dax. I loved what they did with that character for the most part. It wasn't perfect. Uh, the ending and- wasn't great. No, it wasn't, but the concept of the character always stuck with me. Here is this, like, the ultimate envoy, essentially. The, the one that carries this uh, symbiote that has such a long collection of, of personality and life and memories that it carries with it. Um, absolutely just loved what they did with it. Yes, the ending could have been absolutely better. And and I will say that uh, Terry Farrell did a really good job with with playing it. The last one, because I just thought he was absolutely stole the scene every time he was on the screen. Also from Deep Space Nine. Gee, I wonder what my favorite one was, uh, is Garrick. I love Garrick. (laughs) (laughs) Like, come on, man. (laughs) Exiled spy. (laughs) He was so good. And uh, Andrew Robinson just did him so well. Like it was just, he nailed it. It was just great. I absolutely love that character. And then I having his interactions with about. I don't know what you're on about because he was clearly just a simple tailor. <laughs> I don't know what show you are watching, Joe. He, he reminds people of this all the time where you just not paying I'm attention. Just, I'm just ah. a tailor. Yep. No. <laughs> oh God. So good. I love it. I would like to chime in with like, my surprise second choice. Go for it. Which is actually Quark. I love Quark. Because, you know, every other Star Trek show has kind of, where they've been, where they've had Ferengi, has portrayed them as these sort of gross, super commercial focused capitalists. And they're just kind of, they're always kind of disgusting. They're always kind of terrible. And Quark... I mean, he's he's the same way. He's super commercially obsessed, and he's kind of a dick. Quite well, yeah, frequently, Quark shows how you can you can take that character and make it a character without yeah. erasing any of that stuff. Yeah, Quark bizarrely has like this hidden heart of gold, or hidden heart of gold pressed latinum, I suppose. And you see a lot of humanity from this character. Humanity may or may not be the right word. That in all previous Star Trek, had been presented as kind of this grotesque creature. And Quirk's actually, you know, very likable. He's so... It's always so interesting when you take a character that is unlikable and unpleasant, and 
you bring people in. You make people, you know, understand them or feel for them or even root for them sometimes. And I think it's interesting that you guys have listed Odo and Quark because in a way, the Odo and Quark work because of Odo and Quark. They do. Also, like, uh, Armin. Odo makes Quark and Quark makes Odo. I was going to say, Armin Shimmerman did such a great job with, with Quark. It, Just- it was magnificent. It's a great performance because that's such a hard line to walk to be, you know, like you're likable and dislikable at the same time. And you're presenting this character who's greedy and selfish by nature, but is also kind of a softy and presenting both of those sides. It's amazing. Well, I guess it's my turn then. Yeah. 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 Um, Go for it. My first, uh, I got three I'm going to mention just because you all got to mention multiples. Um, my, my, go- my bronze medalist is William James, you know, James T. Kirk, William Shatner. Um, and it's, there are problems with, with Kirk as a character, but they're not the problems everyone thinks there are. Cause people talk about what a womanizer he was, but he isn't really. If you watch the amount of episodes where there are, that he's done, you know, the three seasons of Star Trek, there's only a handful of women and he doesn't just jump from one to the other. One of them is even forced on him. Yeah, I remember uh, that episode. The, the Tantalus device is actually used to program Kirk to be in love with a woman he is not in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the fact of it is that I remember seeing someone once point out that basically Kirk is a serial monogamist. He goes from relationship to relationship. Uh, the Carol Marcus deal from that we find out later in Star Trek uh, Wrath of Khan, that's a that's a committed relationship that she leaves because she knows he'll never really want to leave Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And when you see him in generations, when they're, they're skipping between the character that's mentioned is one that was mentioned all the way back in Star Trek two as someone that he had been having a relationship with who then like left him. That, so that's, that's all there. That's not really important. The thing I like about Kirk as a character is that he is the perfect foil for the more interesting characters around him. Uh, where you've got McCoy and Spock orbiting him. And each of them by themselves would just kind of be there. Like Spock is just a, like emotionless and logical. McCoy is just a hothead. But putting the two of them together in his orbit... They, the three of them form a very interesting dyad, a triad. There's a very good it, troika there. It just and reminds always, me. It's sorry. It just reminds me of that old meme of like everybody talking about all what they can do when they're living in a house together, and it's like each of the mm-hmm. roommates is like, "I love doing dishes. I love sweeping floors. I like folding laundry." And this, but powers, powers combined, we're a normal functioning adult. That's what I think of when I think of like that old crew, <laughs> like yeah, they balance those, each those other. Those three together, um, absolutely. So I wanted to mention Kirk because in a way, I like one of the things I love is when Kirk is put into a situation where there's no way out and no way to win, he cheats, mm-hmm. which is what anybody would try to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the idea that you're going to accept the no win situation, that doesn't get you out of it. It just gets you accepting it. Accepting it is not going to save your crew. So I always like, that's one of the reasons I like Kirk. I like Kirk for a bunch of other reasons, but you know, um, really loving Anson Mount's version of Pike. So yeah, good. it's I'm absolutely loving it. Cause he takes a lot of the stuff that I like about Kirk, but he met, he welds it to a much more stoic introspective character. This is a person who, who has seen 
his fate. He knows how he's going to die. He knows how his life is going to end. And although he knows it will be a heroic thing he does, it will not benefit him. He will not, he will be forced to be completely cut off from the world. Not even able to like, you know, he won't have sign language or any ability to communicate. He'll just have a beep chair. And that's, and he knows that's his fate. He knows that's where he's going. And he hasn't like, he didn't, he didn't turn away from it. He didn't run away from it. And there's a lot to that. There's just, the character is, is very well done. Uh, I, I want to see him playing it for years because I want to see like a lot of the ones you mentioned, I was actually going to mention Garrick because he is, he is one of my favorites, but Pike, I'm loving, absolutely loving Pike. But I honestly want to say my favorite character, my actual favorite Star Trek character is Luxana Troy. Okay. Yes. Yes. Because Loxana Troy, he comes off at first as a ridiculous character, uh, shrill, uh, self-obsessed. And yet in the first time we see her, she reveals an alien plot to destroy the Enterprise. Half-handedly. Just so, yeah, yeah and they're, they're going to blow up the ship. And you find out, you know, yes, she's incredibly powerful telepathically, but she's also really smart way smarter than she lets on. And as, as her appearances on the show continue, uh, her, like the heartbreak of her life comes forth and you find like she fell in love with a human. He got killed. Uh, they had a child together. That child died. Um, their other child. It's like, and like, did you, there's a sense of, did she have another child just to try to replace the one that died or, you know, and there's just so much to her character. Uh, the, the relationships she's trying to form are all doomed. And she knows that because she can read their minds. She knows Picard isn't really interested in her because she can read his mind. You know, when she flirts with him, she does it because she finds his chagrin amusing, not because she thinks there's anything between them. She knows there isn't. Although by the end, there's sort of a respect there because he realizes that she is not the buffoon that they think she is. But yeah, I just, I really liked her watching her character go watching Majel Barrett get to play someone with layers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Cause yes. Christine Chapel, the, the Majel Barrett version of Christine Chapel and no fault of her own didn't have any because they just didn't write them. But the version, the Luxana Troy, when Majel Barrett played the Luxana Troy, they took the, the limiter off and just let her go. And it was brilliant. But at this point we're like 12, 10 minutes past end and I oh, yeah. really got to get going. So I <laughs> <sighs> will right. mention to Ronan, the candle ghost who seduces every single female member of Beverly Crusher's family. <laughs> uh, I don't understand what's going on with that, but you know, Hey, you were played by the guy from deep space nine who was really cool. So yeah. Uh, Joe, if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ad free site experience. Again, as a reminder, all of us at Blizzard Watch continue to stand with the continued efforts of those in the game industry and their efforts to organize and get into unions so that they can make sure that there is a safer work environment and a chance at a better tomorrow for all of them. And so that they can keep doing the thing they love and keep making the games we love. Also, there are four lights. 
Thank you, Joe, especially for that four lights thing. I needed to know that. Uh, if you've got a question for the show, although we didn't do any this week, we've got a bunch and we're going to do more, uh, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch. Uh, so we know it's for this show, or you can go to our discord and we've got the patron Q and podcast questions channel for our patron supporters and the Q and podcast questions channel for non-patron supporters, because we're aware not everybody can do that. Uh, thank you guys very much for being here. This has been the Blizzard Watch podcast and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>